Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Voyagers and all people alike who have ears, welcome to the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so, so good to have you here. Having you here is like a cup of hot chocolate on a really cold day, and the marshmallows are just melting perfectly, the whipped cream settles right on top, and the mug does not burn your hands. That is what you are. Well, enough analogies. My name is Josh, and with me always is my chocolate... I don't even know. I was saying the marshmallow to my hot chocolate, but that sounds a little weird. But I have my co-host with me today, my number one co-host. I'm Andrew, and I'm slightly embarrassed by the intro, but that's okay. I will move on past it. It's fine. Today's guest of honor is Seppi Yoon from Fight in a Box. Welcome to the podcast, Seppi. I want to be the chocolate sprinkles on that hot cocoa. I That is who I want to be now, Josh. Thank you. I put, You put that mental image in my head. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are so glad that you have brought your sprinkles with you here today, Seppi. We've had you on before on the Periscope to talk about uh, Conquest Princess, Fashion is Power. And now we have you on the full episode, and we're so excited to see you. So how you been since last uh, time we were We had here? launch for our crowdfund, and as they say, God made crowdfunding to test the faithful. Oh, <laughs> I believe that's in. I think that's. I think that's in Ezekiel somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I think I read the that once. Called, yeah. According to Moadib, uh, says that very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds. But yeah, you ominous. guys are doing really well right now. Hey. Moadib, uh, Paul Moadib, yeah, that's that's uh, a dude. Yeah, yeah. Arrakis, land of sin. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's good. Like, it's never easy being indie. Um, there are a lot of right. amazing publishers doing amazing things and also allowed to give their fans a discount on games if they come and participate in the event that's a crowdfund. Conquest Princess is very much in the original spirit of crowdfunding, which is, hey, this game does not exist if you do not believe in it. It's just like fairies and magic and unicorns and... <laughs> some clapping involved and some <laughs> hardcore belief and people have to realize it is not about what you're getting for what you're paying it's about what you're adding to our community and what kind of voices you're supporting um but on top of that the game has gotten incredible critical reviews so people love that game it's fantastic and so but there is obviously with the theme and some other stuff um there's a couple of internal hurdles that have to happen with Conquest Princess. I know of three different instances with uh, critical reviewers that people know of, and I won't name them by names, they can out themselves, who are like, uh, had to be cajoled into to trying the game. Like, Will uh, Hungry Gamer called in so many favors to get people to sit down at the table, and afterwards they were like, oh my gosh, you were right, Will, this game is incredible. I, I, I'm, I'm a believer now. And so that is something yeah, people are having their discovery moment with it again and again. But there's obviously crowdfunding is an important and its own audience. And they have a certain set of expectations for that. And I asked them that they have to hearken back to the olden times when we're going to do things with, you know, uh, speed of horse and strength of steel. <laughs> 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 
Well, you made it sound very ominous, but at the same time, I just looked up the page now. You're over 50%. Yes, in so, 17 so days. More than two weeks to go. Yes. So you're doing fine. You're not bad. This is not like doom and gloom situation. It's moving in the right direction. Maybe not happening as fast as you want it to, but it doesn't look like there's a cliff coming at you. So I think you're in good shape. I think shape. we're in a good shape, and I think we're going to fund. Um, obviously, we wanted to unlock more awesome stuff for our folks. We have all that stuff like ready to be set aside, and maybe we'll just do that as sort of a little blip of extra things that we either would sell or uh, mm -hmm. kickstart as a separate supplementals. Because there's an entire second story arc and campaign that can be made with the components that are already in the box. We just have to. That's amazing. You know, we just have to right. add fourteen cards for each one of the the campaigns, and they're like entirely new games. Wow. Yeah, like it's four games in one already, and um, yeah, and of course I wanted to make it eight games in one box, but you know I'm an overachiever. I'm Gen X. <laughs> well, also, you know, the board game industry is interesting because you just have to get it made and out there in the world, then the demand takes care of itself through word of mouth, right? So, like, the hardest first hurdle is actually making the product and putting it at people's tables. And then you get to be a little bit like Shawshank Redemption, where it didn't do great on the initial, but then it made all its money on the back end, and you made how many copies of it going forward over and over and over and over again. So that's why we all strive to make the best game we can, and somehow find a way to get it made once. Uh, you are also speaking from the Book of Muad'Dib. Absolutely. That's like, <laughs> that's absolutely the case. Um, uh, this game, uh, like, there's also like transitions from like the small screen to the like actual table. Like people look at it on their phone or look at it in their browser window and they're like, mm -hmm. how's this game $75? And I'm like, have you seen it on a gaming table? It takes up an entire three by five table completely. Right. It is heavier by physical weight and the same size as something like La Cremosa, right? And yeah. so, um, but looking at it as a little screen, again, to your point, Andrew, you wouldn't see that this game is for you, number one, because the gameplay is all by, about promise and that kind of stuff. You'd have to like watch one of the, the playthroughs and then connect with the jokes. And number two, um, you can't actually see it in your space. So, yeah. yeah. So if people want to know more about Conquest Princess, we have a whole episode about it where me and Seppi talk more in depth about who this game is for and why you should back it. Please check that out on the Periscope. One thing I want to talk about before we head into our pre-launch is that we, meaning me and Andrew, are really, honestly, we're honored to be in the presence of the very first Industry Champion Award, which is a, well, I want you to describe, say, what is it? It's, you were given this to this by Chip Theory Games, which is, you know, the, the waterproof games, as I always call them, the heavy <laughs> waterproof games company. What is the Industry Champion Award? Uh, it, it, all right. So I'm up in Minnesota, and um, in 2020, um, because of George Floyd, you know, people rioted justly because yeah. there was no justice. Um, and so uh, during that time, there's a lot of people having to do gut checks about uh, what we are going to do to in diversity uh, in our individual communities, our sub communities. And so yep. Chip Theory had made a promise and they were like, OK, um, things have normalized here in the cities. Things are, we're, we're getting back to being able, we moved from a pandemic to an endemic. This is just how life is now, right? 
And so they're like, hey, uh, we need to follow through on um, our commitment to diversity in gaming. And they've done other individual things like uh, they've sponsored container ships from all of the like uh, people from the Horizon Fellowship from Gamma, bringing games over okay. and helping people out before. Um, uh, but they wanted to formalize that practice in an annual award, and uh, they decided uh, I, I should be that recipient. And I think it's it's actually telling that they picked someone that I had known about but never met until we spoke today. So I think that's very cool. You, your, your legend and your influence has spread far and wide. People know you, but they may not know you directly. So... Thank you for coming on our podcast, number one, but also continue to be the shine of light that you are out there for the people. And do you get to pick the next year's? Like, how do, what are the what are the perks of this? What, what happened? I, uh, the big perk of it is it helps my project uh, come across from China, uh, no matter what. Uh, there was all that stuff, especially in and around 2020, where games weren't delivering for spikes in prices and so forth and whatnot. And the award literally is we will cover your uh, cost up to a point for shipping from China. So people who back your project do not have to worry that it uh, won't be uh, delivered. Now, a couple of things, Andrew. The, one of the reasons that you've heard of me is because I have delivered early on three of my Kickstarter promises and on time on the last one. Nobody, in, nobody in gaming can say that. Nobody. Well, there's a classic, <laughs> there's a classic phrase there. You got to under-promise and over-deliver. It sounds like you're one of the only people who actually do that. Uh, I do. Like, and I picked very reasonable. Like, I always like a year or six months, depending on the deal. Yeah, and so that's one of the reasons that you may have heard of me. You probably just actually heard me. I am a person at Gen Con when there's seventy thousand people there. I'm the person you can hear seven rows over in the dealing hall. They're like, who is that guy? Uh, that, that's, that's, that's me. So <laughs> that's seppy. That's just seppy. Don't worry. As a, that's just seppy. As a person whose voice also carries, I completely understand, but no, yeah. I, I, you were always this kind of ephemeral thing out there when I'm hustling my ass off, trying to meet as many designers as i possibly can play test as many games as i possibly can you eluded me up until today oh wow so there we go. that's that's funny i'm like a unicorn oh rainbow yeah <laughs> <laughs> well my instruments are starting to flare up so how about we head into the pre-launch and we'll see what games we've been playing recently the pre-launch get to know us and our guests So in the pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently, and whether we liked it or not, pretty simple. Let's go ahead and kick this off. Andrew, I know you're kind of, you know, dying to talk about this game because you keep wanting me to play with you, and we just need to set it up, so go ahead and take this one away. Yeah, this is an early frontrunner for my favorite game of this year. I'm really enjoying Acropolis, uh, a game that doesn't look like much. I mean, the cover is nice enough and whatever not, but it's just a generic greek theme with the greek letters and whatever not but once you play this game it it's a little bit addicting it, it reminds me a little bit of that like level of splendor where i didn't expect much but then i started to explore it and i started to feel the depth and see how it goes and i really like it the basic premise of this game is you were literally just drafting three connected 
cubes into a polyomino piece. So it's like a little tripod, basically, of three hexagons. And you put it in front of you. The next one, you do the same thing. You draft another one and put it in front of you. Essentially, the only thing that's really tricky about this game is that you can stack them once you can put all of them on the same level. So you could put two down and you put one on top of that. Anytime you cover up a white one, you essentially get a monetary value, which you can use to draft more ahead of the spot you're supposed to draft in. So you can, by covering up certain tiles, you basically get income, which you can use to skip further in the line and get pieces you really want later on. So there's this constant push and pull about, do I cover up this thing that has value, but not enough value to me to get something else I really value later on. Um, this game is elegant and beautiful, and I've probably played it about 20 times now, and, I, and I'm looking forward to playing it even more. Uh, it's on BGA currently, which is why I want Josh to play it with me. But more than that, I have my copy ordered from my local uh, game store. I'll be picking that up this week, probably. I love Acropolis. I am terrible at it. I've played it like a half a dozen times or nine times. <laughs> uh, something about that game, like... Uh, does not fit my my the math in my brain, uh, but mm-hmm. I absolutely love that game. That is a great pick, Andrew. I'm I'm on board. Well, the game that you're doing, I also played recently, and I really want to hear your thoughts. So, Seppi, please tell me what you have. Uh, I chose Milfiori. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, that's how I'm going to go. I'm going to uh, Milfiori. Uh, Mil- Sounds good. Milfiori is uh, basically, if you played any of the rolling rights, and you wanted to remove the individual right mechanic and put more interaction and put everybody on the same board, then you have Milfiori. It's that Mm -hmm. kind of combos. Um, It's that kind of, like, it adds that extra level of player engagement you wanted from a rolling right without, like, going crazy like the Twilight Imperium rolling right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I would recommend it. Like, as from, a, as from a component standpoint, it's fun. Like, you've got a million of these colored diamonds. Um, the board is colorful, all that kinds of stuff. Um, that's not, it's not like Kingdom Death Monster where I need this for the components. Uh, but mm-hmm. it is, uh, I, yeah, it, yeah. It takes that thing that we fell in love with just a little while ago and adds a new level on, on it. It makes it super approachable and fresh again. I agree with that, but I've also only played this game two-player, and this game does not sing at two players. I'm assuming you've played the higher player counts. Four. Four. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where the sweet spot in this game is because it really does need the multiplayer going around, and it needs to have the tension of, if I don't play that there this turn, it may not get played until four more people have gone and it gets back to me and I got to make a decision about that again. But I think it's a very cool idea for a game. I cannot wait to play this at higher player counts. Oh, I think you're, uh, I, yeah, you've now sworn me off from playing a two player. Uh, Andrew, you've saved me from an unpleasant experience. No, I can totally see that. Now that you mentioned that, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, as for me, I was able to play a game called Getaway Driver. So this is a game I picked up at PAX Unplugged this last year. It is a two-player game, strictly two-player game. One player is playing a getaway driver who just did a heist, and the other player are playing cops trying to catch them. It's a tile-laying game where one one player is laying like tiles out for the getaway driver 
to choose and as they choose the different paths they have different obstacles they try to get past um the getaway driver is trying it's playing like a hand management game that involves them getting past the different traps that the other player is trying to set to block them in and make sure they don't get away this was pretty enjoyable um i'm not gonna say it blew my socks off but this was a nice two-player game okay the the cat and mouse feeling the cat and mouse feeling of you know there's a kind of a nice push and pull Mm -hmm. to uh what you're doing, it feels very good. I think the rulebook kind of convolutes what it's trying to say, which makes barrier entry a little more difficult. Okay. But I do see me giving this a couple more plays to figure out if I really, really like it. So I'll give the game that. The first play had me wanting to come back and play with it a little bit more on each side because both sides are pretty asymmetric. Um, components are lovely. The actual theme is really well implemented into this okay. game. I would definitely say if you have the opportunity to play this, to give it a try, um, but also make sure that this type of game is something you can really get into, like two-player asymmetry, because it really leans heavily into that. But that was a getaway driver. Uh, quick question, quick question. On a scale of one to Statham, where do you put this? Well, I really like Jason Statham a <laughs> lot. And is, is that who we're referencing? Yes. <laughs> like Jason... One to yes, Statham. Okay. I, I'm putting this at a solid Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I'll be, take that with you will. That's wow. up to interpretation. You can ask me in person if you <laughs> what that means. <laughs> okay. Well, my instruments are fired up and ready to go. Let's dive down deep and hear Seppi's story. Seppi, industry champion, master of the seas, he, regale us with tales of your... Ah, I'm very excited to share this one in particular. Uh, if folks are industry, uh, it, it, uh, if folks are interested in working a convention or uh, having their own game design, they need to see giving a demo, not as like teaching a thing, but rather a set of skills that you pick up. Um, it doesn't matter what you're teaching. It is it matters your method in demoing. Okay. And one of the things that uh, demoers can do, and and I was guilty of this, and I still occasionally am, is prejudging your audience based on how they're acting or how they're looking. Mm-hmm. You as a one human can never really tell what another human has going on until they tell you, and until True. they do, you should not uh, you should not make any assumptions. And this that is the moral of this story, Josh. Are you ready for this tale of the sea? <laughs> yes, I am. Sorry, I, I put I, I go on mute. I go on mute for audio sake. So. Yes, Sorry, I'm ready. I did not know that. I'll ask Andrew uh, in advance for the next set of questions. All right. So, um, yes. So we are at Origins a few years ago, and if you did not know, uh, uh, certain weekends in June, Origins overlaps with Father's Day. Free RPG Day and Columbus Pride. Okay, yep. so the Vin, right. the Vin, Di- Vin diagram of those four things overlap, and those seven guys buy one hundred percent of my titles. Period. Okay. 
because uh, Free Family Day is also Father's Day, uh, those origin weekends. And so all that stuff. Uh, and so into that setting, we have a family pull up on the Atlas booth, uh, one of the origins where I was demoing End of the Line, our first big box game, post-apocalyptic family survival. Okay? okay? So in this family is an eight-year-old girl who was the national champion for a fun little cultish game called Three Cheers for Masters. And she was the okay. national champion at six or seven, like a year or two prior to this telling of this story. Okay? Up from mm -hmm. her is her uh, 12-year-old sister, 13-year-old sister, uh, more interested in her phone than anything else. Okay? Of course. Uh, up over that is her 14, 15-year-old brother, who I think this was a quantum human. He was literally in four booths simultaneously. He was, he was doing this demo, and he's running over there, he's running back. And then you see their dad who looks like this is the most normal state ever. Like this child is over, like bouncing through four booths. Who's the oldest, the, the mm -hmm. daughter who could not be bothered to be present at all because she's in her phone. And then their tyrannical eight year old, uh, younger sibling whipping the table to play the game. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and their dad, who's just like smiles. He's just looking at me, waiting to see when I'm going to break. He's just got this <laughs> okay. He's just like, he's like, and I was like, I'm a professional. I'm going to do this. This is the national champion for this game. I'm going to make sure that she at least gets this experience, right? And so right. we're going yeah. through this. And the level of apathy from one child, the level of like hyper energy from another child and a level of tyrannical energy from this little girl just continues to crescendo. Like they mm -hmm. are like, like, like other people from Atlas are like waving little flags going, do you need to be rescued from this demo? And then <laughs> the, the dad who looked like he may have had a couple of edibles before going to the convention just looks at me okay. waiting for me to break. He's just smiling okay. at me. <laughs> and I'm getting through this, right? And we get through the entire, like, uh, intro demo. Like, you don't play a full game. Like, end of line, you're playing basically one turn. And right, it, right. in the game, it's uh, Last Family Standing. Uh, Josh, hmm. did you ever read the book The Road? I love and this The This is The Road, actually. the board game. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, lots to unpack there, to unpack, but keep going. But really, if you realize how dark that joke is, <laughs> you'll realize how dark this game is. And so, yeah, I've got it. I've got these, like, and then after we finish the the whole thing, and uh, I think this is like the worst demo I've I've done all convention. The oldest stops moving for one point seven seconds, and he looks at uh, me and goes, "You gave us the best." demo of the entire convention thank you and then he speeds off the girl looks up her from her phone makes eye contact with the dad and nods and then the little girl goes can we get this game dad this guy was great okay oh that's a good and feeling i would i i 
finally broke down. Like the guy got the expression that uh, that he wanted from me, which was complete hopeless despair. Like I'm Asian, I don't deal well with compliments, <laughs> or uh, and I have low game self esteem. So I'm like, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> And he goes, yeah, and thanks so much for being awesome to my kids and me. And I was like, I did not, I had to take a break afterwards. I was like, my whole idea is if I understood like people playing the game like well or into it, like different people have different ways of expressing their fun and just different ways of being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they were having a fantastic time. And it was normal for their environment. Like, like you sat that little girl down at another table, you'd be like, oh my gosh. But that was the only way she was going to get uh, her siblings to, to play this game. And this was required. God, I, I'm just thinking to myself, what kind of games do they play at home? Like when you have those four people at a table and they're like, got to play a game together. What game would they play Appar besides the road? Apparently they play the game where 50% uh, uh, of the time they all die. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, player elimination doesn't seem so bad when your kid's in the other room. <laughs> player, like, player, like, uh, end of the line is weird because it's a take this game. You don't... Um, you don't have suffering that's targeted at individuals. You have to target right. lines that you yourself are standing in. So you've got to survive all the hardships. It's probably, again, one of the most Gen X things ever. Like your self-sufficiency and be able to survive Cold War horrors is a you know, testament of your, your quality as a human being. <laughs> Does that qualify as a story, Josh? Have I shamed uh, Tabletop uh, <laughs> Submarine? No, this is a fantastic story. It, it goes a lot. I mean, I've done a lot of demos myself. Yep. I don't think anything quite as great as like, oh, that was the best demo of the entire convention. I don't think I've ever done that. But I, I've done my fair show demoing. I think one of – I mean, there's just, there is a certain amount of joy that comes from being the one teaching yeah. the game. I think still my favorite experience teaching games was when I was doing stuff for uh, Third World Studios mm -hmm. for Stuff of yep. Legends. Um, this was this was I think about two years ago. I was able to teach stuff of legend, which just actually delivered um, to backers. It I got this throughout the entirety of Origins in I think twenty twenty one, and the, the people I the, what's funny is that I think I messed up like two rules, which made the game significantly harder <laughs> than it had to be, like abs astronomically difficult and like. I, I tried to play it off cool because basically there's this rule where like the toy soldiers were trying to chase the people who were playing uh -huh. the game and they were doing it wrong. Basically, and they were basically they were they were giving making the chase too hard on themselves. Okay. And I didn't explain that well enough. And so I saw this, I was, my eyes widened. I was like, oh, no. And I kind of just like, how do I recover from this? And I kind of I was like, hey, are you guys playing with this rule? Like, no, we've been doing this. Like, oh, OK, well, if you guys want to switch it, that's fine. It, it's OK. It's like, isn't that what you said? Like, pfft. I don't remember if I said that. <laughs> I honestly didn't remember what I said. But what made that so great is that at the very end of the game, this like this two-hour demo where the victory condition and stuff of legends that you have to find the right exit, and you flip over certain tiles. If you get to the right number, you win the game. And so they flip over four different tiles, and on the fourth and final one, literally the deciding factor, all six of these guys just who were all strangers just looked at this tile, all of them were looking at it, 
and one guy just literally yells, <laughs> F that tile! <laughs> really loud. And then they flip it, and they win the game. The people who were on the good side win the game. They all stood up and cheered in the middle of the convention <laughs> hall. Everyone turns and looks at them. And it was just, you know, it, it, the traders had a great time. They were so excited. So, like, I, I kind of went off on my own story. That definitely, there is joy that comes from demoing. So where do you think that joy comes from, uh, Seppi, personally? It was one of the things I could work on as a game designer. For me, it ended up being a point of pride. Like, I think the, one of the things that I've worked hardest on is that I can say um, is running a demo. It was something that I could control. Like, I mm-hmm. I feel like I should be able to have more control over the kind of themes that I pick to publish. <laughs> but I usually don't. <laughs> I have a certain taste in mechanisms. Like, there's always, yeah. like, conveyor belts and uh, five-by-five grids and uh cannibalism i always find that into all my games i don't feel like i'm able to control that but getting people to (laughs) laugh uh and having them find uh a place at the table with me no matter who they are like the fight fans are wildly diverse we covered this in the torpedo they're wildly diverse Uh, being able to link people through a, a game experience has always been a point of pride for me you said a couple things i kind of want to unpack there one i think that demoing is a skill Absolutely, 100%. Especially when you're not doing the two-hour game demo that Josh was doing. If you're doing the 10 minutes or the five minutes, that is absolutely a skill you got to come up with. And you can only learn by doing it and watching the trial and error go through. I mean, somebody can try to train you, but that's the other thing with these convention staff. A lot of people have not done this for years. Sometimes it's their first time ever trying to demo a game. And just like Josh, they may have gotten a rule wrong. So you got to understand also that this is a taste test of the game, not a final version of the game. So it's kind of kind of up to you to see if you want to like the game or want to keep exploring the game. But it can't be that this is absolutely how the game is being played. Because I found that funny, too, is I saw people demoing a game and I saw people t- teaching their friends the game the exact way the demo was. And I knew the rule was wrong. And I had to come over after them and I'd take them and say, hey, just so you know, the demo wasn't quite right. There's this little tweet that, oh, we would have played it this way for years. We never look at the rules. Thank you so much for telling us. <laughs> so that's kind of also interesting. And then on top of that, you say that you have control over your mechanisms kind of. And I believe that's only partially true. I think that game designers really only control the clay they put into their games but the games through playtesting evolve and grow on their own. So you can't possibly guess where it's going to end up. You can only choose what you put on the table to begin with. Oh, I think that's great, Andrew. And that, like, you just absolved me of, like, 18 of my game design sins. Ah, oh, Andrew. Ah, oh, thank you. I, I didn't even have to give you, like, a papal indulgence. Ah, oh, I'm so excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> that, of course, is also from the Book of Loyalty. <laughs> so what makes a what makes a good uh, game demo experience for you guys i think energy is number one and seppi's got that in spades uh i think also there has to be a little bit of joy in it you have to be excited to share this cool thing you have on the table i think table presence and organization is a big thing too Like, you have to set it up in a way that makes it seamless when I'm like, I do this thing and that does that thing and then this thing. And 
I think stack in the deck a little. If you can set up the game so that you can do a cool combo or showcase a cool thing, or even better, if you can tell them to take their turn by doing this thing and then they watch it happen, that's one of the strengths of doing things as well. Those are my three tenets of demoing games. I love all that. Andrew's a genius. I love all of that. Uh, do what Andrew said. Um, I would, after you doing all those things, um, that's sort of like setting up a magic trick. I would also mm -hmm. uh, make the realization of making it as interactive as possible. There's there's two types yes. of people. There's two there's two ends to the the type of people and setting up for a game demo. People who need to know everything before they can make one decision, and people who want to learn as they play. The unfortunate nature of the universe is that those people are always in a gaming group together. You rarely get, <laughs> but you should still <laughs> ask the question so you know how to you like. So that you know that's that's going on. Like, um, I I highly recommend that people practice their hooks and their word their word salad. Like, mm -hmm. um, you're gonna have certain word nuggets that you're gonna put together in certain ways and have them ready uh, to be used improvisationally. Like, if you've ever seen anybody do improv or stand-up comedy, going with the flow and so forth and whatnot, yeah, there's a structure to there. Yes, there's some content in there, but a lot of it depends on the individual performance. And treating it like a cater-made experience for the people who are sitting at the table is the chef's kiss for that skill. It's like the... Well. Absolutely. <laughs> so if, if somebody like is listening to this and wants to start demoing mm -hmm. games, what advice would you give them to get started? Because I do believe that the more the, if you demo games, mm -hmm. you become not only a... You know, not only do you, I don't know what I'm saying. I, I think you become a better gamer, whatever that means. But you also just have a deeper appreciation for how games are made. But what do you guys think? If someone wants to start demoing, what do what should they do? What do they need to do? I like um, uh, thinking about games like thinking about mental load. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, if you're going to run like playtests regularly, you of course want people to have a amazing experience, even if they hate the game. Okay. Yes. Uh, that's 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 the why you're doing the amazing demo. But the next thing is, hey, uh, you are doing things in such a way to stitch things together so that people don't carry things in their hands as all as as much as they have to. You're basically helping mm -hmm. them stitch mental pockets for information. So mm -hmm. um, you're going to need like player aids, of course. That helps a lot. Um, the story and the theme and the jokes that you tell are there to wrap up the information for the person, number one, to put them at, at ease and also to help them remember. I would agree with all that, but I would also add in that I think it's something you have to do through experience. So I would recommend somebody who wants to do that kind of thing, reach out to people who make the games that you love. Like, if you love games from Arcane Wonders, if you love games from 25th Century, if you love games from whatever publisher that you particularly like. Fight in yes, the box. exactly. Reach out to Seppi. He'll teach you everything. That's great. Um, I, I will. I will, actually. But, yes, that's my point is the games that you love, go ahead and reach out to the people and say, hey, I would really like to help you out at the next convention. Maybe I work the cash register. Maybe I do whatever it is, but you're going to get your chance to do some demoing. I guarantee it. And 
your joy for that game will help make that whole process easier. And once you've done it once, you're either going to be addicted and you want to do it a whole lot more. Or you're going to be so over it. It's not funny. So there's a special kind of people <laughs> that work these conventions over and over and over again. And I find them to be kind of God's gift to the world. I think they are, but it takes a special kind of internal mechanism and structure that has to like that kind of controlled chaos and joyfully take that on that not everybody can do, but I do recommend people try. So you mean dungeon masters? Oh. Is this what you, what you, it's past that. No, <laughs> well, I, that's I'm not the same. Oh, I mean, I, 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 I will disagree with you there in some instances only because I'm one of those crazy people who loves demoing games. This is the first origins I'm going to, where I'm not demoing something. The first convention in a long time. Usually I actually go with mm -hmm. all play because uh, I have an in and there with some of the people who run the convention stuff. Just because of my scheduling and there's a family reunion going on, St. Thomas Origins, um, I couldn't really make it work. But, you know, all play, for instance, is a great example. I I don't like I, I like all of all plays games, some more than others, some are more passionate about, but I love them mm -hmm. as a company, which made me want to reach out and mm -hmm. work with them. And luckily through some networking, I was able to make that happen. But that's, that's chaos incarnate. Like I am like either you're doing one big game with them or five mm -hmm. small games, but their, their games teach, take 10 minutes to teach. So you're constantly going back and forth. And anyone's seen the yeah. all play booth, formerly boardgamehills.com, it is always swamped. Yeah with people because they have great places to play. I think this is an important conversation. If, if you are a person who is looking to try to bring people into a game group, trying to bring, trying to, you know, learn how to get people to play the games that you yeah. want to play, learn how to demo, like volunteer at a local small convention. For sure. Some, there's small conventions you could do that. People are looking for demoers. It'll teach you how to do stuff. I mean, there's a difference between, for instance, like, doing a demo for let's just say uh you know kabuto mm -hmm. sumo there's a difference between doing a, a demo for that and something like on yeah. mars or even conquest princess there, there's a difference there's different ways you approach it but practicing any one of those will give you the skills you need in order to do the dreaded teach when it comes to your favorite that's games. true and i I really think that's like I think that's how I've been able to get so many people to play with me the games I want to play because I've been working on I'm still working on this skill of demoing and teaching games to people and it's still an absolute joy I'm still the teacher guy I mean I, I teach anywhere from small games to entire RPGs over the course of days hours weeks and months what I do and I gotta say I my success and my ability to bring people into games that I think I'm pretty decent at. Is because of demo. That's amazing, Josh. I would add, if people want a very functional thing, other than repetition, like Andrew said, just go out there and get get as many reps in as possible. Um, making yourself a cheat sheet for one uh, a game you're going to teach. This is my teach. This is it on one page, and you can limit yourself to one front or one back. But you're basically crafting, like thinking about, okay, how am I going to do this thing, and get limiting like it, boiling. Yeah, like boiling it down to one page. That thought action will get you way ahead of the game before you do it. Well, we are deep down the demo sea right now. We are seeing all sorts of people trying to struggle to teach how to play <laughs> Weather Machine and Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, all stuff like that. Let's go ahead and put our sonar on and see what's in our future.
I thought for sure you were going to say underwater cities. I thought for sure <laughs> you were going to say underwater Oh, okay, well, yeah. I, I missed that opportunity. So our sonar is on. Let's look. Let's talk about games we look forward to playing in our future. And I'm going to throw this right back to you, Seppi. What game are you looking forward to playing? Slay the Spire, the board game. I've heard I'm a lot excited about this. Ab- I've, I've been, I'm excited about that game because that's obviously a computer game inspired by a card game genre brought back to a, you know, and as a gay man, I'm very excited about things that were films that were turned into musicals that then got turned back into films. This is the exact <laughs> same process <laughs> for board games. And that is why I am sort of intoxicated. I have played so much Slay the Spire. I got, I beat the highest ascension level with all the characters. Um, I'm hyper competitive with my friend group on Steam. And okay. so when any of them beats any one of the characters, uh, uh, with a score that's higher than mine, then I go and I beat the game at the highest level that I can get blowing their score out so that when they look at their leaderboard, it's only they you. See, they see fight in a box, fight in a box, fight in a box. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, my time in arcade games and with arcade games will be readily apparent if you uh, play Conquest Princess. And so this... Like, arcade, like, I will be the number one. Like, I will put a score up there that will immortalize it forever. And so I play a lot of Spire, and I'm interested. Um, I liked Darkest Dungeon um, as a somewhere, like, a step between the the computer game and then um, Kingdom Death Monster. Um, And so I look forward to to, uh, Slay the Spire, but it's more like... I'm looking at it from a scientific angle. Like I would look at something out of like the latest, like stellar cartography, something or another. That's the way I'm looking <laughs> at, that's the way I'm looking at Call of Duty. Like how is that board game going to pull it off? Like it's going to be very cool because I trust Arcane Wonders do a great job, but how is it going to pull off? But I have to ask a follow-up question. For those who've never played Slay the Spire or don't anything about it, can you give us the quick synopsis? Um, in Slay the Spire, you play some like uh story-wise you play somebody who has come up to the spire uh and asked the weird whale the whale thing hey i'm going up the spire got anything to start me out and then he gives you a deck of cards and one boon and you basically go level by level deck building to get to the tile to uh, slay the heart of the spire now the deal with that game though is the cards can level up you have items that affect how the cards work. You really want to stay thin to win. There's certain sort of really addicting card combos. Hmm. In each of the four classes, um, there are archetypal decks in each one of them um, uh, that you have to have fire in a certain way. You can only do this if you have certain combos. The level of difficulty, you could crank it up to insane to, or keep it uh, touristy. It, it, yeah, that was great. Absolutely great. Awesome. Josh, what are you looking forward to playing next? I, speaking of musicals, I am looking forward to playing Grease Lightning. And this is, this is, there is sadly no John Travolta involved in this game, as much as I would, you know, love to see a John Travolta themed game. No, would it be Pulp Fiction or, you know, only his <laughs> earlier works? <laughs> Let's be real. But this is a, uh, a boat racing game about uh, ancient Greek 
you know, boats racing around a storm, going through different trials and stuff like that. I actually won this at Proto ATL a couple months ago. Haven't gone around mm-hmm. to playing it, but I'm really excited because I have good heard good things about this game, and I am a sucker for racing games, especially ones that play pretty mm-hmm. well at two, because two-player racing games are sometimes pretty hard to come by, and I've heard this one does a really yeah. good job with it. So I'm excited. It has cool pieces that like make this weird like modular circle that you can put your little boats on, things like that. So I'm excited to see this one town. It's by WizKids. So this will should this should be a good time. But that is a grease lightning. Josh, I have a question. Have you played Heat? I have played Heat. That is one of the best racing yeah, games. Like, out seriously, there. like it, it, that yeah. sets the bar. Any like I'd be so intimidated to make a racing game considering how good Heat is. And it's weird to have a game that has AI components that say, hey, you should play with as many AIs possible every time. Oh, yeah. The AIs are – the AIs, everyone says it, the AIs are fantastic in Heat. They are so yeah, good. Those, yeah. Like any racing game, even if it's electrifying, it's stupefying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got you there, Andrew. Let's go ahead and hop on this one. What, what, what are you looking forward to playing? I'm going to bring this one back down to Earth. That's what I'm looking forward to playing. Uh, I cannot wait ah. to see what everybody says is essentially Wingspan mixed with Terraforming Mars. That's what I've been hearing over and over and over again. Those are two of my games that I play the most with my wife. My wife likes heavier games but accessible themes. So this one is, is on my list of my top priority to check out. And I'm looking forward to playing it very soon. Awesome, awesome. Well, we have kept Seppi down the submarine for long enough. It is getting hard to breathe. Let's go ahead and shoot right back up to the surface and let Seppi be on his way. The bends! The bends! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for spending some time with us today on Tabletop Submarine. We appreciate you coming back and, you know, learning more about demoing games and, you know, being in your presence as just a wonderful person to talk to. If people want more Seppi, Seppi Yoon in their life, what can they do? How can they best support oh, you? That, Josh, I don't, you know, I'm very, like, I'm Asian, like, compliments are like my kryptonite. You shut <laughs> my brain down. Uh, I don't know what to do with that. Um, I'm fighting a box everywhere. As we talked about in the torpedo, I out-wrestled, uh, in a like URL sort of way, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu studio for Fight in a Box. So they can find me as at Fight in a Box places or Fight in a Box everywhere that you would want to go. Twitter, uh, TikTok especially, weirdly so, Facebook, Instagram. Okay. And if you are so inclined, please support Conquest Princess if you can. We are very excited to see the future of Fight in the Box and see what you do for the industry against Sippy. If you want to support the submarine, please consider us give, please consider giving us five stars on you know whatever it may be, iTunes or whatever whatever podcasting service <laughs> used to rate us. We really appreciate it. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You know all the things that every single podcast does. You do it does help. That's why we keep asking you to do it. We're not you know so very wrong about games or cabal. They do they just they're at this point. We're trying to build ourselves and become better, and we need your support to get there. Andrew. No, you don't like I'm not going to do this this time. Sorry. So <laughs> usually I try to mess with them with the I'm not going to do this time. So, well, as always, my name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. And I'm just happy to be here. And I'm Seppi. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Tabletop Submarine. <laughs>